Good morning, everyone. How's everybody today? Well, all right. Well, let's all stand together. Uh, somebody give the Lord praise or thanks for something He is, does, or will do. Okay, here we're going to read from Psalm, uh, Psalm 36 today. Now, if you, uh, in your scripture, in your Bible, it may say this may be Psalm 37, but this is Psalm 36. This is a Septuagint version of, of the scripture. So Psalm 36, it says this, Do not be provoked to jealousy with those acting wickedly, nor envy the ones who do evil. For like grass, they will quickly wither, and like a garden herbs to tender grass, they will quickly fail. Hope in the Lord and do goodness. Dwell upon the land, and you will be shepherded in its wealth. Delight in the Lord, and he will give to you the request of your heart. Uncover to the Lord your way, and hope in him, and he will do it. And he will carry out your righteousness as light, and your justice as the midday sun. Submit to the Lord, and ask him. Do not be provoked to jealousy with the one who prospers in his life, with the person who does lawlessness. Cease from anger and abandon wrath. Do not be provoked to jealousy at, to, to jealousy to act wickedly. For the one who, act, who acts wickedly will be destroyed. But the ones who wait upon the Lord, they will inherit the earth. And yet a little while, and the sinner will surely not exist. And you will seek for his place, and you will surely not find him. But the meek will inherit the land, and they will delight in the multitude of peace. The sinner will watch closely the righteous one and will gnash his teeth against him. But the Lord will laugh at him because he foresees that his day will come. The sinners drew a sword. They stretched their bow to strike down the needy one and the poor one, to slay the upright in heart. May their sword enter into their own hearts, and may their arrows be crushed. Better is the little for the righteous, the righteous one than the great wealth of sinners. For the arms of sinners will be crushed, but the Lord supports the righteous ones. The Lord knows the ways of the blameless ones, and their inheritance will be for eternity. They will not be put to shame in the evil time, and in the days of famine they will be satisfied. For the sinners will perish, and the enemies of the Lord at the same time with their being glorified and lifted up are coming to an end. Like smoke they came to an end. The sinner borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is compassionate and lends. For the ones who bless him will inherit the earth, but the ones who call down curses upon him will be utterly destroyed. The steps of a person are directed from the Lord, and he will delight in his way. When he falls, he is not dashed down because the Lord supports his hand. I was once younger, for also I grew old, and I did not see the righteous one forsaken, nor his seed seeking food. The whole day he shows mercy and lends, and his seed will have a blessing. Turn from evil and do good. Dwell for eternity of eternity. For the Lord loves justice, and he will not forsake his holy ones. They will be kept for eternity. The blameless will be avenged, and the seed of the ungodly will be utterly destroyed. But the righteous ones will inherit the earth and dwell upon, upon it for eternity of eternity. The mouth of the righteous one will meditate on wisdom, and his tongue will speak justice. The law of his God is in his heart, and his steps will not be tripped up. The sinner looks at the righteous one and seeks to kill him, but the Lord will never, ever leave him into his hands, nor ever condemn him when he judges against him. Wait upon the Lord and keep his way, and he will raise you up to inherit the earth. You will see when sinners are utterly destroyed. I did see an ungodly person exalted exceedingly and magnified as the cedars of Lebanon, but I passed by, and look, he was not there. And I sought for him, but his place was not found. Keep innocence and see uprightness, because there is posterity 
for a peaceful person. But the lawless ones will be utterly destroyed together. The posterity of the ungodly, ungodly will be utterly destroyed. But salvation of the righteous is from the Lord, and he is their protector in the time of tribulation. The Lord will help them and rescue them, and he will deliver them from sinners and save them because they hoped in him. That is a huge psalm that we just read, right? But I'm going to give you a very succinct condensation of what it says. Don't be a sinner, be a saint. Because the saints are blessed by the Lord, while the sinners will be destroyed by him. And that's going to come into play when we, in my sermon later on. We'll talk some more about some of that stuff. But that's a great psalm. That if you want to memorize a psalm or something like that, that's one to do. Because we, we all want to be saints. We don't want to be sinners. We want to be among the righteous, not the uh, lawless. So there's that. So we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You.
This is a time in the service for communion. So when you came in, you should have received a little packet. And there's a little wafer in there, which is bread, which is Jesus' body broken for you. And also the juice in there is his blood shed for you. And this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 11.23. For I have received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus on that night was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after uh, supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And also in the previous chapter, he talks about um, how, how we participate in this together. He says, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in one loaf. So Jesus came in the full um, spirit of God. Jesus' body and dwelled the full spirit of God. And he was perfect without any sin, a spotless lamb who died to take away our sins. He also said he died and left this world so he could give us his spirit and follow his example. So as we eat this, we just come to him remembering what he did. Also, it tells us in the Bible that we should examine our hearts because we don't want to take this in an unworthy manner. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for sending your son so many years ago that this many years later, your blood cleanses people. It cleanses our past sins, and also it cleanses us from thoughts that lead to dead acts. So we just pray right now as we take this that we bring you joy and happiness as we remember you. Amen.
Announcement time. If you are new here or you have not given information to us that you would like us to have to notify you of um, reminders for services, uh, for special events, if you have an urgent prayer request or you want to update that prayer request, this is a way to do that. You can text this number um, or fill out a welcome card in the back and let us know. We can help get you connected in ways you might want to. Um, pill bottle collections um, out in the foyer. There's a bin for that. They go to Matthew 25 Ministries. Ink cartridge collection, um, recycle your empty ink cartridges. It helps reduce the office supply costs here at the church. Refit free dance fitness class is going to re be resuming its normal days this week, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, 6.30 to 7.30. Men's night is the first Wednesday of the month. First Wednesday of the month, men, come on out. Food and fellowship is the third Wednesday of the month, uh, 6 to 8 p.m., this Wednesday, thank you. Uh, food pantry closed closets every Thursday, five to seven. If you have donations you wanna drop off, you can do it during that time or on Sundays after service. Um, if you would like to come and serve, um, we can. there's lots of things to do, so we can get you plugged in if you wanna do that. If you wanna come and just see what we do, that's fine too. Breakfast fellowship is the first Sunday of the month at 9.30. Breakfast is better when we eat together. Giving tree, so Mellon Ridge, if you had taken a paper off the window, um, there should have been 10. The gifts are needed today. We are gonna drop them off when we go caroling. Speaking of caroling, it is today at 2.30, so we're gonna meet in the Kroger, Goshen Kroger parking lot at 2.15. Um, we're gonna be meeting with other churches. We're gonna be going to four locations um, and caroling to people who are pretty much shut in at nursing homes, senior living, uh, Mellon Ridge, so there's four different ones. There's one, um, O'Bannon Terrace, Venetian Gardens, Mellon Ridge, and then we picked up St. Mark's in Milford this year. So the word's getting out. Um, next Sunday, please join us for our Christmas Eve candlelight service. Um, it is at our normal service time at 1030, and yes, we will have real candles. Our uh, weekly budget is listed here, and then a list of the ministries that you support through your giving ways to give in person. There's an offering box in the back of the sanctuary and online at our website. I don't have anything else. Um, the kids are going to meet with Michelle. You guys thought I was going to say something like really important. Now is the time for the 10 minute meet and greet. The kids can um, gather up in the back with Michelle. Nancy. Oh, see, I knew there was something else. There are a couple cards in the back um, in the foyer area to sign. One is for, are they both for Walter? Both are for Walter. Um, Walter is the older gentleman, really tall. He hasn't been here for at least a month, if not a little bit more. Um, he comes and he's just really happy to be here. He loves this place. He calls Heartland his home. He has been ill, very ill. And so we'd like to just send him a card. So please take a minute to just sign your name on that card. Thank you. Alrighty. As usual, I'm running late, so yeah. I tell myself every week I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go up there and have to do that while I'm in church, but it never works out that way. You know, sometimes the Lord uh, changes things for us. You know, we want to do do things a certain way. I had every intention of preaching a message about Christmas today, but you have to wait till next week for that because there's no doubt in my mind that this is what the Lord wants me to preach today. So today we're gonna turn in our Bibles to First uh, Corinthians, chapter one. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 
through 7. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 7. And when you find that in your Bible, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the title of today's teaching is The Grace Given to Us in the Church. In 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9, the Scriptures say, which I said 1 through 7 before, but it is 1 through 9, the Scriptures say, Paul, called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints, with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech, in all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You may be seated. Uh, today I want to return to a subject we were focused on back in July of this year. The subject is God's grace. Now the true grace of God is so misunderstood in our times we need a steady diet of what the scriptures truly teach about God's grace. You know, it's very easy to teach error, but it's much harder to detect error and to correct it. So when you hear us talking about the same thing over and over and over again, it's because we've been told lies for so long. Now we've got to spend some time to correct it because, again, it's easy to teach error, error, but it's harder to teach the truth and then correct it, correct error when we see it. So with that in mind, we're going to talk today about the grace given to us in the church. Let's pray. Lord, as we study your word today, help us to lay aside all wrong ideals and any demonic doctrines that we may uh, believe about your grace. Help us to be both hearers and doers of your word as you give us the grace and wisdom to put your word into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. So notice in 1 Corinthians 1.1, we see who wrote this letter. It's from Paul called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. Now, Paul introduces himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. And Paul makes sure that we all know he's not a self-appointed apostle. He's not an apostle by his own will. He's an apostle by the will of God. Now, what is an apostle? An apostle is someone sent by someone else to represent that person on official business. An apostle has the authority to speak and to act on behalf of the person who sent them. Now, Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus. He's been given authority by Christ Jesus to speak and act on Christ's behalf. In Acts 20, 24, Paul calls his apostleship the ministry received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. So Paul was given authority from the Lord Jesus Christ to preach the gospel of God's grace. And as Paul goes on to tell us who the recipients of this letter are, we find out what the gospel of God's grace is. In 1 Corinthians 1-2, Paul says he writes to the church of God at Corinth. And Paul then goes on in 1 Corinthians 1-2 to define what he means by the church of God. He says, those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints, with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours. 
Now here Paul succinctly states what God calls us into, into through the gospel of grace that Paul preached. The gospel of grace is not a call to be a sinner saved by grace. That's what the devil would like us to believe. And need I remind you what we read in that psalm earlier today? Do any of us want to walk around saying we're sinners? Because think about what happens to sinners in that psalm. Sinners will be destroyed from the earth. You know what he says? Sinners don't have a good day. Sinners aren't what we want to be. In that psalm, it, it, it uh, talks about sinners and the righteous. They're two different groups of people. But the devil would like us to believe that since Jesus came, we're now all sinners saved by grace. You know, you believe in Jesus and not much changes in you. It's really just God's attitude towards you that's changed. You're still the same old person. You're still the same old sinner. But now you're a forgiven sinner. That's a very common but very false view of the gospel of grace, and that is devastating to people's salvation. It's like when people are taught that you can't shake it out of them with a pit bull. Well, that's what, that's what, we're, that's what we're up against. See, the true gospel of grace is much more radical, much more life-changing than that. The true gospel of grace is a call to a life of repentance. It's a call to come out of our sinful lifestyle, to leave that life behind, to stop being sinners, and to be set apart in Christ to be sanctified as saints by God's grace. The gospel of grace calls us to share in the divine nature of the Lord Jesus Christ and to become by grace what the Lord Jesus Christ is by nature as the Spirit of God conforms us to Christ's image. Yeah, Paul makes this undeniably clear later on in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, where he asks this question. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? I wish Paul could stand up in some churches and say that to the preachers who talk every Sunday. Don't you know that the righteous will not inherit God's kingdom? This is these next words. Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral person, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards. And here's a tough one, verbally abusive people or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. See, here we have a list of some of the most popular sins in every culture, including our own. Sexually immor sexual immorality of all kinds, including adultery and homosexual acts. And if Paul were here today, he would say pornography in all of its forms. Paul also mentioned idolatry, greed, theft swindling, drunkenness, and here's the one we all have trouble with, verbal abuse. How many of us think it's okay to verbally abuse one another? We may not say we think it's okay, but we do it all the time, right? What does Paul say? People like this don't inherit God's kingdom. Paul says those are the acts of the unrighteous. That's how sinners live. And anybody who lives in those sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the false gospel of grace that's passionately proclaimed by some of the most popular preachers in the world, well, that false gospel assures us we're all just sinners saved by grace. And we will inherit God's kingdom even if we practice the sins, Paul says, will keep us out of God's kingdom. And because that gospel permeates America so much, that's why we're able to verbally abuse each other and not see too much, you don't think too much about it, right? Because we figure we're just sinners saved by grace. See, false teachers assure us living in sin is the normal life 
for a Christian. But let's listen to what Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 6.11. And by the way, this is all that matters on this subject. It doesn't matter what I have to say. It doesn't matter what other preachers have to say. It matters what Paul has to say because he's an apostle of the Lord Jesus. Paul says this, and some of you used to be like this, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Notice those words. Paul says some of you used to be like this. Like what? Like Paul just described. Some of you used to be unrighteous. Some of you used to be sinners. But something happened to change you. And what happened was God's grace. See, through the gospel of grace, Paul preached they were called to be saints. They were called to leave behind the unrighteous, sinful lifestyle that they used to live. And they were called to separate themselves from who they used to be outside of Christ, to separate themselves from their sinful past and be separated to a new life in Christ. A life where they're changed, they've changed their allegiance from allegiance to the world, the flesh, and the devil to allegiance to God. And that new life began when they were washed, sanctified, and justified. And does anybody care to tell me where that happened? It's when they were baptized, right? Baptized, you're washed, sanctified, justified in water and given the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, that's the gospel of grace that the Corinthians heard and responded to. And that's the same gospel of grace we need to hear and respond to. See, when we're baptized into Christ and the church, we're born again. Think about this. We're born again. We means we're different. The sinner we were outside of Christ is dead and buried with Christ. And we rise to live a new life as saints of God in Christ, in the church. See, the gospel of God's grace calls us to be God's saints by God's grace. And Paul goes on to remind us where God gives us the grace to be saints. In 1 Corinthians 1.4, Paul says, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. Now, the importance Paul placed on being in Christ Jesus cannot be overstated. But Paul uses that phrase or its equivalent at least 80 times in his letters. And when Paul talks about being in Christ Jesus, he's talking about being united to Christ in Christ's body, which is the church. So to be in Christ Jesus is to be connected to Christ's body in the church. It's in the church that the grace of God is given to us in Christ Jesus. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.9, it's in the church that God the Father calls us into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The gospel of grace calls us to live as saints through our fellowship or our union with God's Son in the church. Through our constant contact with the Lord Jesus as a part of his body in the church, we become more and more holy. We become more and more saintly as God's grace changes us from one degree of glory to another. We're constantly putting off the old humanity and his ways and constantly putting on the new humanity that's been created in Christ Jesus to be like God in righteousness and holiness. So to fulfill God's calling to be saints, we've got to stay connected to God's Son and the church. And is it any wonder why Satan has told everybody, you don't need the church? Why would he tell us that? Because he knows that we do need the church. The church is where Christ is. The church is Christ's body. 
Everybody thinks that Christ came to save you individually. That's not true at all. He came to save a people for God's name, not a person. He came to save a body to, to bring us all into his kingdom and into unity with him. You know, it's only in the church that we gain access to the grace God gives us in Christ Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 1.5, Paul goes on to explain how God's grace is given to us in Christ Jesus. He says, you are enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. And in this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the, Lord, for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here Paul's talking about the grace God gives us in the church through spiritual gifts. Now the speech and knowledge Paul mentions here are spiritual speech and spiritual knowledge or supernatural speech and supernatural knowledge. It's not something that we have on our own. It's something that God gives us a gift to be able to do these things. God gives supernatural spiritual gifts to his church to enrich his church in every way and to confirm the testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ among us. And through the grace of God flowing through spiritual gifts, God confirms the truth of the gospel of God's grace. Now, I think it's very sad that this wonderful letter through which God reminds Christ's church of our calling to be saints through our union with Christ within the church, but it's very sad that this letter tends to cause so much division among God's people. There's not countless subjects in this, in this letter that cause division, and some of that is just because we don't like what Paul says, so we don't want him to say what he says, so we divide over. We say, hey, he didn't really mean that. He said this. Anyway, so let me get away from that for a minute. One of the subjects that people divide over are the very things God wants us or wants to use to bring us together. Those are spiritual gifts. No, I believe Satan does all he can to get us to misunderstand and misuse spiritual gifts or to get us so confused that we say, those gifts must not be for us. Because Satan knows what God's word says. Satan knows through God's gifts, God's grace is distributed to God's people in the church. And we're enriched in every way through those gifts. That's what God's word says, isn't it? Now, Satan knows it's through spiritual gifts that we all grow in the grace and knowledge of God. And we grow in the true faith and become mature. And Satan also knows that when God's people are united, when God's grace is freely flowing through all of us through God's gifts, well, God's grace will then flow out from us to the world just like it did in the early church. And Satan really hates that. So Satan has done a superb job of causing division over spiritual gifts. It's common in the modern church to hear people say spiritual gifts, or at least some spiritual gifts, ceased or passed away when the last of the apostles died, or when the New Testament was completed, or for some other reason for which they have not a shred of Scripture to prove what they're talking about. See, I've thoroughly studied all those arguments over the last 20 years, and I've not found any biblical arguments to convince me that any of the spiritual gifts have ceased or will cease before the coming of Christ. In fact, I want to show you something Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.7 that makes me 100% certain none of the spiritual gifts have ceased or will cease until Christ comes again. In 1 Corinthians 1.7, Paul says to the saints, you do not lack any spiritual gift. So Paul says the Corinthians have all the spiritual gifts, every gift, including the gifts Paul talks about later on in this letter. The church at Corinth does not lack any spiritual gift. 
And remember, Paul's not just writing to the church at Corinth. He's writing to all the saints, the whole church, to all who call on the name of the Lord in every place. So the universal church does not lack any spiritual gift. And notice the next phrase in 1 Corinthians 1.7. Paul says the church does not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ is Christ's second coming, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. The end of this age is what Paul calls the end and the day of the Lord in 1 Corinthians 1.8. So Paul says, while the saints wait, while the church waits for Christ to be revealed at his second coming, at the end of this age, the church does not or will not lack any spiritual gift. In other words, every spiritual gift will be active and available to the church, in the church, until the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the church will have all the spiritual gifts throughout this age. From the day of Pentecost, when Christ received the Holy Spirit from the Father and poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit on the church, from that day until the day Christ comes again in glory, all the spiritual gifts, every spiritual gift, will be available to God's people within the church. The church does not and never will lack any spiritual gift. Now, hopefully, right about now, you're thinking, he's really laboring this point. Because I am really laboring this point. Why? Because we really need to hear this. See, God's people cannot fulfill our calling to become saints without all the spiritual gifts in the church. Because God's grace in its various forms flows to God's people and through God's people through the spiritual gifts Christ gives his people in his church. Now, Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. He says, Now grace was given to each one of you according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, When he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to his people, is what this told me. Gave gifts to his people. Jumping down to verse 11, Paul says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching by human cunning and cleverness and the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. And I said this the last time I preached, but Paul, he just goes on and on and on about stuff. He just keeps just keep saying, just multiplying words, and that's what he's done here. What he's telling us is Christ designed the church so that we all need each other. Christ does not give one person all the gifts. And we don't all have the same spiritual gifting. So you need the gifts that God gives me, but I also need the gifts that God gives you. We need each other in the church. See, all the spiritual gifts God gives to his church are necessary so that God's church can be enriched or built up and reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son and become mature as each of us does our part. We need all the spiritual gifts to be active within the church so we can become saints in God's church through God's grace. 
And I believe this is the number one reason we see so much division in the church today or among people who call themselves Christians. Because we neglected or rejected some of the spiritual gifts that Christ gives to his church to build up his church. We've downplayed other gifts. We've forbidden the use of other gifts. But as long as the church is on earth, we, all, we need all the spiritual gifts exercised in a fitting and orderly way for the church to grow, for the church to stay united, for the church to, feel, to flourish. Uh, there's a place in Jude where he talks about people who do not have the spirit, they're the ones who cause division. That's tough stuff, isn't it? In other words, we're not allowing the Spirit to work within us, so we cause division in the church. It's not good. It's only through those spiritual gifts being exercised in a fitting and orderly way that we can grow as the church, that we can be united, and we can flourish. See, that's what they had in the early church. And we need the same today. We need a church where everyone does their part by exercising the spiritual gifts God gives each of us. We need a church where all the spiritual gifts are exercised in love for the good of all. And that church will be a force that the gates of hell will never stand against. And this is why Paul thanks God that the grace of God was given to the church at Corinth through all the spiritual gifts. Even when some in Corinth were misusing the speaking gifts, and if you read that letter, what he's saying is, Everybody's standing up and speaking out in tongues at the same time. You can't do that. There's a way you got to regulate these things. Read the letter and see if what I'm saying is not true. That's what he's talking about. You're misusing the gift of tongues in the church. That's not what it's for. So even when some of those were misusing those speaking gifts, Paul was still thankful for all the spiritual gifts. His, his, uh, his solution was not throw out the gifts like we do. His solution was make sure you, you exercise the gifts in a fitting and orderly way. Do it the right way. Do it the way that I'm telling you to do according to this letter. Paul was thankful for those gifts because through those spiritual gifts, God's grace enriched them in every way. See, through the speaking gifts, the Corinthians had heard the gospel of God's grace from Paul that called them to be saints. Through the speaking gift that God had given Paul, they had heard about their union with Christ. They needed to be united with Christ in the church. They accepted that message, and God poured out on them his Holy Spirit. And along with the Holy Spirit, God also poured out all the spiritual gifts on them in abundance. And this outpouring of God's grace through God's gifts was confirmation to the Corinthians that the gospel of God's grace is true. And we may not like that kind of language. What do you mean? The Word of God said it was true, so it must be true. Well, Paul says there was, there was confirmation through the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, through the miracles of the Holy Spirit, it's confirmation that what, Jesus, what Paul said about Christ is true. The miraculous manifestations of the Holy Spirit through spiritual gifting was proof to the Corinthians that what Paul said about Christ among them was the true gospel. And I believe we should expect the same. See, if we preach the same gospel of grace Paul preached, and if the same spirit of grace is still poured out on all who accept the gospel and are united with Christ in baptism, then we should still expect the same manifestations of God's grace to be given to all God's saints through the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. We should expect God to confirm the testimony about Christ among us, just as he did among them. Why does his testimony not need to be confirmed among us? Why would, why would we think that? It still needs to be confirmed, right? Especially in our culture right now, it needs to be confirmed because people have talked so much about Jesus. They've talked so much about the church, but they've experienced so very little of it. It's like I say every time I'm up here recently, we talk too much. 
But the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. It's a matter of the love of God coming out from us, through us, through God's grace. It's a matter of God changing us through his grace. See, when we gather as the church, we should expect, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11, we should expect that a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person. Listen to this, each person, not the pastor, not the dude that stands up there and talks, each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. The one and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person, here's an important part of this, as he wills. You and I have no right to put limits on the gifts of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit would distribute those as He wills, right? Now, we can quench the Spirit. We can say, I don't want anything to do with that, and I think that's what we've experienced a lot in the American church. But like the Corinthians, we should expect that we will not lack any spiritual gift as we eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we need those gifts? Do we need the gift of healing today? Do we need the gift of people who speak the Word of God boldly and confirm that Word through miracles? Do we need that? Some people say, now nah, we got the Word of God now. Well, they had the Word of God then. We still need those things. We still need those things. And I believe that we can have those things. And I believe those things are confirmation of what the gospel that we preach. And I believe we'll have those things when we seek God. See, we should expect this because the saint-making grace of God is given to each of us through spiritual gifts. And I could talk for another hour about this, but I'm going to reel myself in and and talk about God's goal in giving us his grace in the church through spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 1.8, Paul says of God, he will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, and you were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. See, Paul assures us that the God who calls us to be saints through our union with God's son in the church, Paul assures us that same God will faithfully strengthen his saints through his grace to be faithful to the end. And everything I've just talked about, this is what Paul means when he says we're saved by grace. It's God's grace that changes us from sinners to saints. It's God's grace that strengthens us to live as saints. God's grace strengthens our resolve to follow Jesus. God's grace strengthens us to serve one another with the gifts God gives us. God strengthens us through his grace to empower us to faithfully live the Christian life so that we will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus comes again in his glory. See, we're not going to be blameless just because God looks at us a certain way. We're going to be blameless because we are blameless, because his grace made us blameless, because now we're like Jesus. That's what we're headed towards. That's what we want. That's what God wants for us in his church. See, God is faithfully at work in us through his grace to give us both the will and the ability to do his will. And God gives us everything we need to live a godly life through his grace in the church. But here's what we don't like to talk about. We don't like to talk about our faithfulness. See, God is always going to be faithful. The question is, will you and I be faithful? And as long as we continue to work out what God's grace works within us, then we will be blameless on the day when Christ comes when he comes again in glory, to be glorified in his saints. See, if we're not becoming saints right now, we're not going to be saints in the afterlife. It's not going to happen like that. 
That's not how it works. See, we are called to be saints in the church, and that's what we should be doing. Right now, we should be allowing God's grace to change us into the people he's called us to be. Now, as we close, we've seen today that the gospel of God's grace is a call to be God's saints through our union with God's Son and God's church. We've also seen that God gives us his grace through the spiritual gifts he gives to each member of the church. God's grace is given to us to strengthen us to live lives that are worthy of him until the day of the Lord, until the day Christ comes again. And in response to this teaching, I want us all to do two things. First, let's do what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.1. And here's another reason we, can, we know that those gifts aren't going anywhere. Let's begin to obey God's command to pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Paul just listed a ton of these, or he's going to list a ton of these in, in this chapter here. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. See, let's desire all the spiritual gifts that empower us to serve one another in the church. And second, let's keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking in prayer until God gives us the good gifts that we desire from him. That's what Jesus said. He said, if you know how to give good gifts to your, to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit? And in another place, he talked about give good gifts. So Matthew talks about gifts. Luke talks about the Holy Spirit. So how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit to those who keep on asking him? So we need to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking until God gives us the good gifts we desire from him. And if we'll do those things, then I believe we will see the testimony about Christ confirmed among us as we live in God's grace that's given to us in Christ Jesus in the church. And let's all stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the gospel of grace that calls us to become saints. Thank you for the spiritual gifts you've given us in the church that enable your body to build itself up in love as we all do what we're called to do. Lord, I ask you to give us a greater desire for your gifts for all of us so that through your gifts we may all grow in the grace and knowledge of you and that we may glorify you in this earth. And we ask it in your name. So they're going to come sing a final song. Uh, you're welcome to come forward and pray if you want to pray. Uh, if you want to um, pray for uh, healing, whatever you want to pray about, people will be up here to pray with you. But before they do that, I'll speak, speak the Lord's blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah.
Great week, everybody.